This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, brought to you by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. Orbition Group is delighted to bring this podcast series, which boasts some of the most high-profile data, analytics, and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Each episode details the journey to the top of our industry's most respected leadership figures, while bringing unique insights drawn from first-hand experience on the industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, experiences, and ideas to inspire, innovate, and give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast. Um, today, I'm delighted to be joined by Scott Taylor, um, who is, I guess, founder, CEO of MetaMeta Consulting, but most popularly known as the Data Whisperer. Um, so for any of you that follow Scott, um, probably know there's not a great deal of whispering going on, but I'll let you kind of give him his story. So Scott, thanks for being here. Uh, 8 a.m. in the morning where you're based, New York City, right? Yeah, it's fine, but data never sleeps, right? So thank you, <laughs> Kyle. Delighted to be here. And uh, yes, you absolutely characterized my attitude correctly. I don't do a lot of whispering. We got to shout about the value of data management. So we save the whispering for the data itself. We help calm data down, but we got to get people excited. So that takes a certain amount of shouting for sure. Fair enough. I'm not sure that you necessarily need coffee, Scott. That was going to be my first question. I hope you've got coffee. I'm doing it though. I'm on, yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, takes, takes all kinds of inputs. To get stuff Fair enough. So look, before we kind of jump into the topic, which I'm, I'm really kind of excited to kind of try and delve into, um, why don't you just give the audience a kind of brief introduction into your background and I guess, you know, journey to date and how you've ended up doing what, what you currently do. Sure. So I'm now principal consultant and data whisperer for MetaMeta Consulting. It's our boutique consulting agency. We help people tell their data story. And I've spent my career in the data business on the master data, data governance, data management side, usually representing brands that were trying to help enterprises. So I've dealt with all different kinds of companies in every type of vertical and fortunate enough to do it actually literally all over the world, but always focused on reinforcing the strategic value and benefits of proper data management and why data itself is important to an organization. So spent some time at Nielsen. That's where I learned the space. 15 years at Nielsen, a thousand days at Dun & Bradstreet, but who's counting? And all (laughs) kinds of consulting and engagement activities with a variety of different data and software brands. But everything I do is focused on why data and data management in particular is important to an enterprise. Yep. Okay. That makes sense. And I guess in terms of MetaMeta consulting and and the role that you do there, so you talk about you help businesses tell their data story and and obviously you're the uh, guru around the the data management piece. Are you in there helping them with any of that work physically, Um, you know, as in traditional consultancy or is it merely kind of helping them define that narrative and that story? I don't get physical. That's the way I talk about it. I'm, I'm, I'm awesome at conceptual. I can get technically through logical, but I don't touch anything. And you don't want me touching anything. I'm not that guy. Fingers on keyboards. Let's hook it up this way. 
you know, every reference data architecture looks fine to me as long as it works, but I stay out of the implementation part. I characterize my focus on I'm about the why, not the how. And my experience has shown that if you want business support, if you want stakeholder engagement, if you want your C-level leadership to support what you're doing and fund it, you have to have them understand and accept the why, the rationale. Otherwise, they don't care about the how. They're not going to give you money to do stuff if they don't understand why you are doing it. So I focus on that particular element of it. Very interesting and obviously very, very prevalent. But I guess from my perspective, you know, the, the topic of data storytelling has obviously kind of rose to prominence, especially over the last kind of few years. But I guess the type of data storytelling that you're referring to on the data management piece is, is somewhat different, I, I guess, because most organizations look at data storytelling with, you know, a polarized view on the analytics side of things, right? So, um, you know, how or why is that different or is it not different? Is it just that we don't focus on the data management piece and we should? Data storytelling is probably the hottest non-technical thing going on in the data space right now. And I looked at it and went, where's the voice of data management? I didn't hear it loudly enough, declaratively enough, and confidently enough, frankly, in the whole data storytelling gestalt out there. So I went, there's got to be a role for why the data is important. Most data storytelling, as you've already noted, is exclusively focused on using analytics, using business intelligence, using the output of what data can end up enabling, but putting it in a business context so somebody can make a decision, can drive an action, all those really important things. So data storytelling absolutely is totally important, especially on the analytics side, but I felt there was room in the space for a supportive kind of data storytelling, if you will, which is data storytelling about data. Mm -hmm. Instead of with data, let's do it about data. And I bifurcate the space between data management, which is the part I look at, and then business intelligence, which is where most focus ends up being. And certainly that's where the hot, sexy stuff tends to be, AI, ML, whatever you yeah. want to call it. But if you don't determine the truth first in data management, then you cannot derive meaning out of analytics. And I always like to say, you got to determine the truth first before you derive meaning. Obviously, I'm a truth guy, hence the meaning of my truth hat, but I focus <laughs> on that. And that's a fancy way of saying garbage in, garbage out, rubbish in, rubbish out. I like to call it the golden rule of data, do upon your data as you would have it do upon you. But it's always the same story, Kyle, that we come back to. What you put in is what you get out. And being able to get the support for the management of that content before all these analytics folks do their thing on it is an issue and a challenge in almost every organization I've ever been engaged with. So the idea of being able to put that narrative together, I felt had great strategic importance. Yeah. So I guess a couple of questions that are kind of floating around in my mind, which is a very dangerous place, but um, mm -hmm. First of all, why has there never been the emphasis on data storytelling from a data management perspective before? And what's the purpose of it to, to move, you know, moving that needle forward? Is it a case of 
we've always focused on the storytelling piece as far as analytics goes and, you know, trying to move insight to action. Uh, and that completely makes sense. Is it just a case of we, we need to be doing more to kind of, as you say, garbage in, garbage out, but we've always known that, right? So, so kind of right. wh- why now? Wh- why is this blown up recently in terms of it being such a kind of hot topic around the data management piece? Because from a hiring perspective, that's something that we've certainly seen, you know, a big spike in the number of organizations going out to market to try and find senior data management people. So, you know, just curious. That's great to hear that validation from your side as well. And obviously you'd have a finger on that pulse. What are people looking for in terms of roles and responsibilities and the kind of experts you say need to bring to their organization? Data storytelling in general is just a name for activity that's been going on forever, as you suggest anyway, whether it is analytics or data management. The fact that now it's a thing led me to go, okay, there's, let me hang the work I've done under an existing topic area, which makes it more accessible for people to understand its value. People have been telling stories forever. If you think about someone had mentioned that cave drawings were actually an early example of data. So if cave people were telling stories off of the data in their caves, then actually data is older than oil. So forget about it being the new oil. It's actually older than oil. So how do you like that? And I felt that it was important to just clarify structure, give people some sort of framework around the exercise of explaining the value of proper data management. And when you ask why now, the urgency has never been higher. The stakes have never been higher. The challenges people are finding through the pandemic, operationally, a lot of them are, are realizing something very specific. As an example, our product data isn't any good and we have to jump into e-commerce because we can't open our stores anymore and consumers aren't able to travel and they're locked down. So they have to buy from us on a website and we don't have good product data. That's a, a separate kind of, you know, that's that activity is going on everywhere. I've connected with a lot of people are having that issue. The reason you don't have good product data is because you didn't have good product data management to begin with and people didn't think it was important. The value of highly structured, well-managed, expertly stewarded data is being recognized by these enterprises who either have stumbled through some sort of system integration or enterprise software platform implementation or some new change in go to market doesn't matter. I back up and go, give me the five things that a company's trying to do. And I will find as a parlor game, at least three of them will not happen without better data management. That's my challenge to every listener out there. If you can't find them, I can help you find them. So the need I saw from the marketplace, from this community of data managers was how do they how do they raise their profile? How do they get the attention of the people who will support them, who have no time to hear about the technical underpinnings and the implementation plan, but have all the money to fund it? So I was doing my part to provide people with an understanding of what that is and to support them in that effort and that journey to simply tell that data story when they get that minute with the CEO and they're going to ask them, here's what I'm doing for you, boss. Here's why it's important. Yeah. It's so interesting. And um, I think it's, it's so obvious to see. Um, and I'm keen to kind of pick your brain, Scott, around 
the book and what drove you to do that. But I guess, you know, you, you started to delve into earlier around some of the, the, the perceived sexy stuff. Um, and I don't know, just from operating in this space, I, I think there may be something in the notion that, you know, especially organizations that are going on this, you know, going on that journey and are at the, the start or, or early on in their journey with data and analytics often get blinded by the lights of all of those buzzwords and the, you know, the perceived sexy stuff as that's where the value is. And often, you know, and I know we spoke about this offline and I said, you know, most organizations are trying to go from zero to a hundred, you know, in, in kind of three seconds. Um, and you said, no, they're trying to go from 50 to a hundred in three seconds because they're not even got anything to start with, um, which was a great concept. And I'm sure we can kind of pick more about that, but it seems to me that a lot of organizations want to go, right. Where's the value? Okay. The value is in the analytics and what we do with that in a predictive sense and, you know, data science and AI and ML, uh, but often organizationally are just not ready for that because they don't have the structure or the framework or the processes or the policies or whatever the case may be. So from your experience, do you, do you see that? Is it a case of that this emphasis now is uh, we've gotten to this point because maybe there's been a lot of failure on the other end um, and it's kind of retrospectively, okay, well, what went wrong? Ah, it was the data management piece. Do you feel that that's why this kind of, you know, resurgence of data management has kind of come to fruition? I hope so. I think it's a variety of factors. I think you've touched a lot on a number of them. I don't think there's a single thing that people look at or drove that, you know, a market to say, okay, this is important now, but it's a combination of it. And there's a huge constituency out there of data management practitioners and leaders who know all this. Many of them are looking for ways to develop the soft skill part of their expertise, which is what data storytelling is literally all about. Conveying a story, connecting on an emotional level, articulating benefits in a narrative that captures the hearts and minds and imaginations of the listener. None of that describes a reference data architecture. All of that (laughs) describes a way to get people's support, which is what we all want to do in business. We want to build relationships. We want to have, you know, good internal relationships to support the work we're doing. And we want the work that we're doing to support the business that we're in. There is clearly a need to to help people do this. I'm not the only one. I'm not saying I cornered the market here. What I just tried to do was just put a stake in the, in the sand and say, this is real People should focus on it also. It's not an either or. It's important to remember that the soft skills help people accelerate what they're trying to do. And you have to connect with your leaders and your partners on some form of emotional level. A lot of those elements are the same, whether you're telling a story on data management or you're telling a story on analytics. A lot of the analytics data storytelling folks remind people, look, it's not about just giving a list of numbers and expecting people to understand it. You got to put it into some kind of context. And I think both kinds of data storytelling as well reminds people, you want to tell a story, but you don't want to tell your life story. Okay. So here's classic conversation with some, with practitioners and, and especially technical folks starts with, here's everything we did to get here. 
here's all the mistakes we made. Here's the 15 different ways we approached it here. And then I did this and then I did, it's like, who cares? All right, just get me to, if you're talking to a CEO, if you're talking to a leader, they don't care about all the hundreds of things that you're super proud of that got you to that point. They want to know why this will help my business. You have to go through that process to get to that point. But when you talk to somebody for the first time about a topic think very clearly and practice what your first sentence is going to be, what your first paragraph, what your first couple of minutes is going to be, because that's when people ha give you the, the most attention you're going to get. And if you start off with, well, 10 years ago when I was looking at trying to do this and then I saw this and then I met this guy and that, I just, you're going to lose people right away. So there's a technique, whether whatever the story is that you've got to hone and my focus obviously was on the data management side of it, but you've got to try and frame this in a way that it's going to support, as I like to say, the strategic intentions of your enterprise. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting because obviously from my side of the fence, especially in the realm of data science, we've gone on this kind of evolution, if you like, where... I mean, I, I bang on about this stuff a, a lot, but obviously now so much focus around how data scientists and, you know, those people, the practitioners needing to be able to tell story and build relationships in order to influence and get buy-in to get things done. Um, and effectively what you're saying is it's absolutely no different um, on the data management side. It's just that for whatever reason, we're not really talking about that, you know, because the amount of organizations I speak to when the hiring data scientists, you know, rewind three, four years, it was a case of we need them to have these skills and it was purely technically focused. Um, and now obviously we're starting to kind of try and draw out a lot of these technical skills. But when you, you know, you look at data management type roles, you know, nobody said to me on a data management type role, you know, we want them to be really good at data storytelling, you know, so it's, I guess that's where the gap is. And obviously why you've just, you know, you, you're kind of are where you are, I guess, with, with this. So delving into the book then, and obviously, you know, so much knowledge, Scott, and I guess, you know, that's part and parcel of, of writing the book for you. But what, what was the trigger point? Why did you decide to write it? What was the point, you know, behind it, the objective? And and I guess what was the, you know, the point where you realized, okay, th th there needs to be more about this and, and kind of, you know, the reason for getting the book underway? I had a number of people early on hear me speak and say, you should write a book. And it's a very easy thing to say, and it's a very easy thing to think you're going to do. So I spent a couple of years not writing the book. <laughs> and it wasn't until a confluence of a couple of things happening that really pushed me over that edge or over the top or whatever way I went. Early this year, I was watching the data storytelling world and going, okay, there's as usual, the hottest thing going on doesn't have anything to do with data management it has to do with analytics. So it was another check the box, you know, typical kind of attitude on my side, the pandemic, which locked everybody down and kind of opening up my mind to, all right, if you're ever going to do it, now's the time to do it. So it was my COVID summer project <laughs> to get this thing on paper, metaphorically, since it was all on computer. So I talked to a publisher and I, was toying around with a couple of ideas. For me, it was important to actually have a publisher. So I know you can self-publish, which is lovely, but I wanted that validation. I wanted to work with somebody who said, okay, 
yes, this is a thing. This looks like it'll work. The first topic I had was, I just want to talk about why data is important. The strategic value of data. Every organization needs data. It's got to be important. I know I've got a way to explain it. And it's just so the title is why data. <laughs> and he took me down a couple of notches immediately. He said, we have like seven books on data strategy at the executive level and none of them are selling. I said, okay, well, data storytelling is a hot topic. Let me reframe this as data storytelling for data management. He said, that's perfect. So that gave me a focus and an edge and a niche to position the expertise I'd been developing for 25 years. Didn't change the book, changed the positioning of the book. A lot of the things I'd already worked on in terms of writing fell into that. So it was a natural beautiful moment of a lot of things falling into place. And then you got to do the work, which is not a whole lot of fun, but you got to, you got to put the work in who said, no one said that that kind of work is fun necessarily. And it was, you know, a wonderful accomplishment. It took a bunch of work. It was, I hope it, I hope people like it. As you mentioned, the book's called telling your data story, data storytelling for data management. It's 99% buzzword free. That seems to <laughs> amuse people. <laughs> So for instance, I didn't come up with a word for data storytelling for data management to try and coin a new word that would mean what I was talking about because that's antithetical to the idea of trying to avoid buzzwords as an example. And Put It Together came out a couple of weeks ago. People seem to be enjoying it. It's available on Amazon. It's available at the Technix Publications who publish all kinds of data and analytics books. I got to put a lot of my ideas in there, which was fun. I There's some cartoons, there's some jokes, there's some serious stuff. It's pretty much my whole range of capability stuck into this book. And uh, I'm proud it I'm proud we got it out. Good. Um it's interesting that for me because effectively, you know, you started with this concept of you wanting to shout about why data and to specifically data management is important. And obviously upon getting that feedback, you kind of switch that to being able to explain why data and data management is important effectively. And that's that's so interesting because, you know, given the way our industry is going, irrespective of topic over the course of, you know, the, the whole pendulum of, of data and analytics type topics, that's where everything's heading. You know, it's how you're able to articulate that story in order to get buy-in from the stakeholders so that you can influence what happens ultimately, you know, so. I've found because it's been around so long, and part of my push was the stories people tell about data management, the rationale that people tend to use, the vocabulary that's consistently used in this space isn't working. The proof is people aren't doing it the way that the folks who were talking about wanting to do it are doing it. So if it did work, talking about, as an example, data quality, which I pick on all the time. And I'm sure there's people who wince when I do, but my feeling is that vocabulary doesn't engender some sort of form of action from people. We need better data quality. That's not an objective on the top list of any senior business leader. If you think that all we need to do is talk about our data quality and look at our data maturity assessment and say we need to move from a two to a four and our data quality needs to go from X percentage to Y percentage. 
I don't think people are going to care. It's not a new notion. It's not a new idea. And as I suggested, if that pitch, which is what it is, it's pitch. If that pitch worked, then why are we still in this trouble we're in? Why are people still struggling with understanding the value? So the words we use are really important. And I hear words like quality, cleanliness, hygiene. These are really tactical, ad hoc, emotional, subjective terms that don't really engender any kind of action out of senior leadership. Structure, interoperability, standards, I think those start to lead you toward a conversation that gets directly into operational efficiency, that gets into mitigating risk, that gets into growth initiatives and how data can help enable it. Just a twist of a phrase, data quality, in case anybody misinterprets me, is super important. You need to have it. You need to measure it. You need to have goals around it. But as a sales pitch, I think it lies flat. So effectively, you're just talking there about changing some of the the terminology and the lingo, which will warrant you a conversation that will probably get you a bit further down the road than some of the more traditional terminology would do. Exactly. Because people people are getting bored of that for whatever reason, rightly or wrongly, but they're, they're bored of, of that, um, which makes perfect sense. Okay. So I guess kind of flipping back over to the analytics piece and, you know, the talk around there being more sexier stuff out there. How do you kind of frame that with the organizations that you kind of go in and consult with? Because, I mean, I can only imagine how those conversations pan out um, in terms of, you know, they've all got these big ambitions to be doing AI and all these fancy projects. And that's where they, you know, that the perceived value is. Um, How do you kind of bring all that together you know effectively it is it is the ai and more sexy stuff more valuable or not in your opinion and how are you kind of positioning that with the businesses that you kind of you know going and consult with if you go back to my truth and meaning segmentation you must do both you need to get meaning derive meaning out of data otherwise that data is not going to have the value it needs to have and put in the right context and drive a business action And if you don't determine the truth first, then that meaning is meaningless. So I don't see it as an either or zero sum approach. I just remind people that you have to do it in order. And when you hear a couple of things I hear in the space, one, people talk about, we just want AI. Well, you need data management. No, I don't care about that. I just want the (laughs) analytics. That's like saying, I'm really hungry. I want a meal. Okay, we have to cook some food. No, I don't want to care about how you cook the food. I don't care about cooking food. I just want a meal. That's a really stupid thing, right? <laughs> that, that logic doesn't make any sense when you use that kind of analogy. And it shouldn't make, so the idea of doing analytics without data management should not make sense. It should be as stupid as I want to eat, but I don't want any food. <laughs> But there's also a little bit of rivalry between data and analytics in the space. And I'm raising a banner around trying to stamp that out too. So there are analytics leaders who will proclaim data is worthless until we put analytics on top of it. Data is just a cost center. Data is, has no value until 
we put business intelligence on top. There's a lot of these people say that and they're analytics people. And I jump up and try to bring what I think is a more holistic perspective to that and say, don't say that. Why do you have to say that? So if you're talking to a leader, if, if I went into a business discussion and I was representing data management and there was another person there representing business intelligence and the business intelligence person said, well, you know, data is worthless until we really do the work I'm going to do. I'm going to speak up and say, why does it have to be zero sum? You can't do that work without the work I do. Why do we have to sound competitive? And in the ears of the leader, they might be thinking, look, these two don't even agree. Why should I care? Because they're not going to understand these really slight nuances of data versus analytics, of data management, business intelligence. They're just saying, how do I drive the business? How do we make a difference? How do we grow? How do we improve? How do we protect? So there's a lot of noise going on. And the noise has got to stop at some point if we want to get the attention of another group. We're all pointing the same way. So any analytics leaders out there, any data science folks, don't belittle intentionally or even unintentionally the work that's being done by your peers to make sure the content that you need to do your work is strong enough to deliver. Data scientists talk all the time about, almost proudly, I spend 80% of my time munging data. Why? <laughs> Why? Uh, there's, do you know your data man? Do you know your data governance lead? Why are you spending 80% of your time doing work that may already be done? And I think there's a real opportunity to connect the data science community with the data management community and say, let's start working together here. I'm not trying to be totally idealistic, but if you've got a data scientist with heads down and they're spending 80 to 120% of their time munging and wrangling, and a lot of that work has to do with on duplicating duplicated records, on hierarchy maintenance, on understanding classifications, on fixing geographies. Those are things that are owned by your data governance team and they will have better data for you to work on. And from an almost existential perspective, if you call yourself something and you spend 80% of your time doing something else, then what are you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a really interesting debate because I think, um, I mean, I, I get involved in a lot of these type of conversations, um, especially on LinkedIn, you know, with organizations looking for, for data scientists. And obviously that's become a buzzword and a, a title in itself that's blown up over the last five years. And it's kind of seen to be cool to be hiring these people. And the reality is, is often, as you just said, a lot of them are doing a lot of other things other than data science and maybe only 10, 15% of the time is doing data science work. So, you know, there's something flawed there. Um, and obviously there's a whole host of variables as to, as to why that happens. But I guess, in terms of executives and stakeholders, I found it really fascinating what you said around, you know, why they feel that they probably shouldn't care too much about it if the people that are supposed to have the same common goal in the business, you know, data leaders and analytics leaders can't agree. Is that is that where you see most execs turn off? at that point in terms of is is that the reason why a lot of these people may not really understand or or want to kind of better themselves in that area because i mean of course I mean, i've been in this space for for nowhere near as long as you scott but for 10 years so it just seems really logical to me if somebody said like look we're going to do 
this from an analytics standpoint and here's what we're hoping to achieve. But then someone else said to me, well, that's fine. But, you know, if that data isn't right, accurate, in the right place, whatever the case may be, then you're not going to get as much value out of that. That to me seems so logical. It couldn't be any more logical. Yet for some reason, we're st- we're still having a lot of issues with this. And And I don't know, I guess I struggle to understand how these people that are, you know, CEOs running multinational corporations can't see that. And I don't think it's a case of they can't see it. So there's obviously something else there that's kind of stopping them from believing that it warrants their time or attention, if that makes sense. It could have to do with a number of factors. One, it's inherently boring and analytics is much more exciting. I I admit that. I agree. I understand that. Maybe I don't agree, but I understand <laughs> why people perceive that. You can see it. You can see analytics. You can't see data management. You can feel data management. It hurts when it's not right. And when it's right, you don't even know it. Your analytics platform is able to pull together a comprehensive, integrated, aggregated view of your most important relationships on a dashboard that you trust. That has a whole lot more to do with data management than it does with the dashboard tool. If you open up the dashboard and it's all a mess, that's when data all of a sudden becomes (laughs) a big topic because the vendor will always blame the data. Everything demos perfectly. Everything demos perfectly. And I have people show me stuff. They're like, oh, we want a demo. I don't really, like, I don't do demos. When you get to a demo, you're already halfway sold it because people are interested in what you're talking about. I work on the, you have no idea what we're talking about. And I want to move you from that to how do we live without this at that first phase of getting somebody's attention. So that struggles there all the time. And you have to focus in all of this stuff on how it enables the strategic intention of your enterprise, how it will help your company deliver value to your relationships through your brands at scale. For me, that's the essence of every business. If you're in data science, data management, data anything, and you're really good at the technical stuff, but you want to understand how that helps your company, why it helps your company, take that sentence, my company delivers value to its relationships through its brands at scale and fill in the blanks. At scale immediately brings you into the conversation. Is there a leader out there who does not want to do things at scale? Not if they're working in an enterprise. What are your relationships? Who are they? Customer, vendor, partner, prospect, then citizen, patient, supplier, materials, all those piece parts. You don't have a relationship. You don't have a business. Your relationships are your most important thing in your business. All of your C-level and everybody in your leadership cares about your relationships. So the data work you do is to help maintain and support the data you've got about the relationships. What are your brands? How does that express itself? Is it a product? Is it a service? Is it an as-a-service offering? Is it a digital delivery? Is it manufactured somewhere and put on a truck and then goes to a warehouse and then goes to a store and goes in a cart and goes in somebody's kitchen? Whatever the stuff you make, however you get the stuff you make to the people who buy it, that's your brand. 
these are classic master data domains, data management domains, customer, vendor, product, service, asset, citizen, patient. These are all literally master data domains. So if you believe that the purpose of your business is deliver value to your relationships through your brands at scale, then the data about your brands and the data about your relationships is of critical importance before you put any analytics on top of it. So maintain that data well, and you can then allow your company to scale those processes and initiatives that will deliver greater value to your relationships. It makes so much sense. I just find it so intriguing how, you know, the, this kind of this journey that we're on with all of this um, is kind of unfolding. Um, and so I guess as we start to look to kind of wrap this up, Scott, a couple of things, obviously, I want to end with some of the examples and practical tips that you have that you, you know, demonstrate throughout the book, obviously not too many because people won't go and buy it and um, that all your hard work might go to waste. But um, before I do that, there's... I guess something that fascinates me and plays into this topic quite a lot, I think. So I don't know how much you know about the UK data space, but I feel that we, in comparison to the US, we're fairly slow at adopting things, you know? So the CDO role here is still in its infancy, really, um, in comparison to what it's like in the States. Obviously, in the States, you've then got the the CDAO role huh. now. Um and then, yes, we can talk about that. I don't know why we need an extra letter. <laughs> um, and obviously, there's organizations out there now that have two people at this level, you know, so a CDO and then a CAO. And, you know, obviously, it's obvious which direction these people are going in. And I guess I'm just curious to know from your from your experience and just kind of pick your brains on, on this Um especially as you mentioned conflict earlier, but, um, you know, do, do you think that that's a good strategy having those two as, as separate, you know, could that be a good thing for data management? If you've got someone at that level that really is, you know, obviously doing the work that you do and constantly banging on about that. Um, and, and, and what are the implications of, of how, how that could possibly work? The CDO role is super important. It takes the notion of data and let's just put analytics in there too, because I think it's part of it out of the technical realm where it has been locked into for decades. And the result of that has been part of the data mess we're in today, where people are talking way too much about technology and CIO really became CTO in a lot mm -hmm. of cases. The priority was the technical infrastructure, not the data content. It was easy to see how people fell into that if a business person just thought organizationally, they just figured, all right, well, data's on computers, computers in the CIO, let them handle it. That's kind of an over, a gross <laughs> oversimplification. But now with this personification of the importance of data itself in an organization, I think it's incredibly valuable to have that role. You find it underneath the CDO. Sometimes it's under the CIO. Sometimes it's under a couple other things. And we can challenge the idea of having a C in front of your title and not reporting to the CEO all we want. That's later. Again, I'm not an organizational specialist. <laughs> but it, when you think of that role, and I speak 
metaphorically, but I feel like that role, the CDO should own data at an organization similar to the way the CMO, chief marketing officer, owns brand at an organization. So if we take that analogy and play it out, a CMO owns the brand, they own the positioning, they own help building and supporting the brand equity. They steward the brand execution. They have brand governance in terms of how the brand assets are used and managed and distributed. It starts to sound a little bit familiar, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And people know that brand equity, even though it may not be on the balance sheet, is really important to build at a company. And if you damage your brand, you damage your company. Replace brand with data in that last paragraph, and you have a lot of what the chief data officer does. We've been struggling to find the ways to communicate this to the organization. And I'm playing with this idea of a CDO owns data like a CMO owns brand. And their assets the whole organization use. They are horizontal value creators for an entire enterprise. There's more similarities there than even a CDO versus a CIO. So I think there's something in that notion of trying to explain the conceptual value of this role to leaders that that kind of comparison might help support. Mm. Yeah. No, that's a, it's a really good analogy. Um, so I guess jumping into the the kind of final piece of this then in terms of examples and kind of practical tips as, you know, how this works in terms of what you've put in your book and what, you know, maybe members of, of the audience that are listening to this from a data management standpoint, some, you know, little nuggets of, of information, I guess, Scott, in terms of how they can go away and try and help move the needle on, on this topic a little bit. What, what's What's your advice? I guess number one advice is, hey, buy the book. But number two <laughs> would be, every enterprise has a data story to tell. You have to find it. Back to one of your earlier questions, I don't have to convince a lot of organizations that they should do data management. I work with organizations who want, who are trying to do it and are frustrated that they're not getting the support and engagement and funding that they should. So I'm trying to bring a voice to that community or help them develop their own voice. So you start with the reason you're doing data management is not to improve data quality. The reason you're doing data management is to enable the strategic initiatives in your company that help deliver value to your relationships through your brands at scale, that last sentence that I talked about. The type of story you're telling, it's not an epic, it's not a drama, it's not a comedy, hopefully it's not a horror story, it's actually a pitch. In a business context, the type of story you tell in business is a pitch, a sales pitch. Put sales in quotes if you like, but the reason that you're telling that story is to create and drive action and commitment from the audience that you're telling it to. So remember that. I've got a framework called the three V's of data storytelling, vocabulary, voice, and vision, obviously with a knowing wink to the three B's of big data, but you want to establish an accessible business-oriented vocabulary. The words you use are important. You want to harmonize your messaging to a common voice and get that voice amplified consistently across your organization and to other points of influence throughout your enterprise. 
And then you want to point that effort at the vision of your company. If you can do those three things, you've got a long way to organize your thoughts, syndicate them through your organization, get people to understand the why. You still have to deliver the how. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the how is not important. I just don't focus on it. But you need this balance between the why and the how, between this evangelical head in the clouds, visionary piece and the practical feet on the ground, pragmatic, executional element between the sizzle and the steak and find that little sweet spot right in the middle. Nice. Nice. Um, so obviously what we'll do, Scott, is put the kind of link to the book in the, the show notes and stuff like that. So, um, but for anyone that can't wait that long and, you know, is rushing out to, to, to kind of buy it, what's, what's the best place for them to reach it? Amazon, you say? Amazon's the easiest for everybody. It's there on the Kindle edition as well as the hard copy. I've noted that my book is actually ranking 373 in performing arts. I don't know why. As a category, it's hilarious. My son sent it to me. He said, congratulations, dad. So I have no idea why I'm ranking in performing arts. But in the performing arts category, there's probably a ontology problem there at Amazon in terms of how they categorize my book. But uh, so I would say it's the number one data book in performing arts <laughs> without any empirical evidence. And then directly from the publisher, Technics Publications, but hopefully people will get it. They'll buy it. They'll love it. They'll give me some feedback. And it was certainly uh, fun to put together. And it's been great talking to you too, Kyle, about all of this. I want to thank you for all, all the time you gave me today. No, no problem at all. So uh, I guess final thing, Scott, if people want to reach out to you, um, you know, ask for your help, advice, anything about the book, whatever the case may be. A, are you open to kind of fielding those type of, of kind of requests? And B, if Absolutely. so, what's the best way to reach you? Absolutely. I love talking to people. That's all we do. That's all I do in the space. <laughs> I talk about talking about it. Meta Meta Consulting, we're about what it's about. I just love to talk about it and talk to people about talking about it and happy to have a conversation, a DM, uh, whatever it happens to be with folks. But the best place to find me consistently is LinkedIn. I'm all over LinkedIn. Find me in there. Scott Taylor, the Data Whisperer. I've got about 50 videos on YouTube. Again, just Scott Taylor, the Data Whisperer. I'm starting to rank nice and organically when you search for that these days after going out at it for a couple of years now. And then the book's on Amazon. So I do all kinds of events. I do these podcasts. I do wherever we can start to help spread that story. That's what I think is important. So again, thank you so much, Kyle, for, for giving me the opportunity today. No, no problem at all. Well, Scott, it's been an absolute pleasure. Fascinating conversation, and I'm sure very insightful for um, a lot of the listeners. So we appreciate your time. We thank you for coming on, and we look forward to speaking to you again soon. Absolutely. Cheers. All right. Have a good day. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, Please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week.